Okay. Well, we are continuing uh, what we began last week uh, as we're launching into a new year, uh, just prayerfully looking at an understanding of the basics of who we are in Christ and, and what constitutes the true Christian life according to the New Testament. Uh, not according to human training, not according to human tradition, not according to a religion or a headquarters in some distant city telling us, but according to the Word of God, what is the basic norm for the Christian life? And that's part of what we're trying to look at and comprehend. And uh, we looked last week, particularly at a 1 John 15, but a lot of different passages of Scripture that tie into this, that Jesus is making it real clear that the normal Christian life is a life of abiding in Him and Him abiding in us. And that's a mystery, but the whole New Testament keeps presenting that mystery. That we are not joining a religious group, and Jesus is our guru or, or our leader, and now we're just going to join this religion and work real hard at being good religionists. But that Jesus is saying, there is no Christian life outside of union with Him. He and us, us and Him, His words abiding us, us abiding in His love and His love abiding in us. And, and so we tried to just lay that quick foundation. And Jesus is really saying, there is no other Christian life apart from this union. And we talk about this every time. Let me see where we are on this thing. We talk about this every time, but it's worth recognizing that as we're discussing these things, it might be possible for somebody to hear what we're describing. And, and even if you believe what the Word of God says, to end up feeling discouraged or even condemning yourself by saying, you know what? I am nowhere near that thing. Whatever that thing God's describing, I'm nowhere near that. But I hope that one of the mindsets that, that our church fellowship and our, and our study and our encouragement together keeps putting in focus is that the power and the authority we have, and we'll look at that more today, leads to a commitment to just keep growing. So whether I think I'm way far back or I think I'm a little bit ahead, doesn't matter. That our commitment is to keep going further and deeper in the things that God is showing us. So you have the title there of Out of Death. Is, is the title up there? Oh, okay. I just want to make sure I wasn't copying it. So Out of Death into Life. And we're specifically looking at specific aspects of what that means for us as believers. So, actually, turn with me to Matthew 16. Where Jesus is conveying something to his disciples. And actually, this truth, he repeats it numerous times throughout the Gospels in different ways. But Matthew 16, let's start at verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come into the glory of his Father with his angels, and he will then repay every man according to his deeds. So here's Jesus describing discipleship. And he's saying, here's how it works. If you're really going to be my disciple, if you're going to really follow me, you deny yourself and you pick up your cross. And this is not rocket science. It's just a basic reality of, of what was going on in the culture at that time. A cross was not a burden. And every time I bring this up, I, I emphasize it because I hear it so frequently in our culture. Well, you know, I got to bear my, my cross and my cross is, you know, having this job or dealing with this illness or being married to this bozo or whatever my cross is, I got to bear it. That is not what this passage is about. Bearing a cross means you're going to your death. That's all that it's about. That's the only thing the cross was for was to crucify someone, to put them to death. But here's the bizarre thing that Jesus is saying is, instead of someone else putting you to death, I want you to choose your death. So that you are an active participant in this process of agreeing with God to deny your independent life and choose the life and the following of Jesus Christ. That's a mystery. That's hard to comprehend. But it is comprehensible. We can keep growing and comprehending it. We keep growing and choosing it. So we read this passage this morning. So now, out of those words of Jesus, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, die to self. And we have this in Romans 6, starting in verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, he's saying we should know this, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is free from sin. I'm going to stop there. We'll continue with it. But I'm going to look at what he's saying here in verse 6. Our old self was crucified. And this is an important concept for us to understand in our Christian growth, in our thinking, in our choosing, in our mindset toward God, in our mindset toward temptation, in our mindset toward growth as a son or daughter of God. Is God is saying there's something old that was crucified. So if you'll, if you'll um, I don't know if you have your Bibles open in front of you, I hope so. So in verse 3, notice the verb tenses who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death. It's past tense. Verse 4, have been buried with him. Past tense. Verse 5, have become united with him in the likeness of his death. Past tense. And then verse 6, our old self was crucified with him. 
past tense. So this is important. Here's what God's saying. And, and it's really important, actually, as we continue to look at this. Let me see if I can get this to, to not feel every movement and twitch of my hand. Was crucified. So this is something God did. At the moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you're a believer, if you prayed to receive Christ, if you trusted Jesus for salvation, if you trusted that his death on the cross was the payment for your sin, and, and whether you were five years old and you barely understood that, or you were 45 years old and you studied doctrine for decades, that the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God is saying this. There was in you and I, an old thing, and its very nature, its very identity was to sin. Its very identity was rebellion against God. And there's all kinds of passages we could go study, but we won't right now for time. And that's the legacy of Adam. That when Adam broke fellowship with God, now Adam and all his descendants are in broken fellowship. And that there is that old nature that means I incline, I lean toward rebellion. I lean away from God toward self-idolatry or idolatry of someone or something else. There is a nature to that. So we, we talk about, you know, a, a leopard can't change its spots. And what we mean by that is it's going to keep on being a leopard. When you tell the story or you've heard the story about the, the scorpion asking for a ride across the pond on the back of the frog, and halfway across, he stings the frog, and they both drown. And the frog goes, what were you doing? I was, I was going to get you. I'm a scorpion. It's what I do. And God is saying, that was you and I before Christ, that we had to sin. And the, the thing about sin is I can find unbelievers, and you can too, I can find unbelievers that look as good or better than a lot of Christians I know. This is not about image. We talked last week, Jesus saying, if you're not doing it in me, it's not the real thing. All I have to do to sin is live apart from the union with God. Apart from the union with Jesus Christ. Apart from the very union that I was literally designed for. All I have to do to sin is live outside that union. And I could look really good. I could be very religious. I might be the nicest guy on the block. And God would still say, but you're doing all of that out of the union you were designed for. And it will always fall short, which is the definition of sin. It will always fall short. Because the only life that matters is the life you and I do together. And so now God is saying, this is hopeful. Please stick with me for the whole thing. He's saying, that thing in you that had to live that way, that had to live in broken union, that thing that had to rebel, that thing that had to do its own thing. I crucified that when you put your faith in Christ. I killed the part of you that had to sin. Now, how many people here, well, I won't ask you to raise your hand because I'm not trying to embarrass the people who haven't done it. But if I would ask you, you know, how many people here remember the moment you prayed to receive Christ? And many of you would. 
Others of you have genuinely prayed to receive Christ, but you don't remember the moment. That's okay. But you know you've chosen it. And, and isn't it exciting how you, after you and I prayed to receive Christ, we never sinned again? Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> Why are you laughing? Because that's not what happened. We did not become sinlessly perfect. So what's going on? If God crucified at that moment of faith, he crucified the thing in us that had to sin, there's something else still going on. Let's go to Romans 8. I won't even joke about it. Let's just go to Romans 8. Starting in verse 12. And he says this, So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also. Did I lose track? And if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. So now here's an interesting thing. And I'm glad that it's right here in Romans, just two chapters after the last thing. So Paul has just revealed to us, and many passages in the New Testament say the same thing. The part of you that had to sin, the part of you that was doomed to rebellion and sin, that part was crucified with Christ. You were buried with him and crucified with him. And he didn't say because you felt that way or you knew it. This is a thing he did. It's part of your legacy and your inheritance in Christ that God just did it for you. But now Romans 8 is looking at another aspect of our Christian reality. And he's saying, you know what? There, there are moments when we act and choose and operate as if we owe something to the flesh. That we owe a moment of sin to the flesh. And again, I would love to go into more detail and, and maybe next week we will come back and do more detail. But it's really interesting because Scripture says the sin nature, the old self that had to sin, God crucified them. He didn't ask your permission. He didn't ask you if you felt strong enough for him to do that. He says, when you put your faith in Jesus, I just did it for you. But now he's handing you and I power and authority to do something different. Because now he says, now when you see yourself living out the deeds of the flesh, Here's what you get to recognize. Back to Jesus' words. Wow. If I'm living a life devoted to self, if I'm living a life where I act as if I worship myself, I please myself, I satisfy myself, I'm even willing to ignore God. I'm willing to ignore His Spirit. I'm willing to defy the Word of God. I'm willing to harm others. Or at least I'm willing to drop the ball in loving others. 
Because I'm busy about self. And he's saying, guess what? We have no obligation to do that. We are not obligated to the flesh. I don't owe whatever my patterns in the flesh are. I don't owe it another year of my life. I don't owe it another year of my marriage. I don't owe it another year of my struggle against any area of temptation. I don't owe it another year of not pursuing some area of growth that God has put in front of me. I don't owe it anything. But here's the authority he gives me. He says, when you see that pattern in yourself, you see that that area of sin, that area of temptation, that area of weakness, that area of self-indulgence, that area of self-satisfaction. When you see that, I've given you authority to put those deeds to death. So here's the thing. Was crucified, the old self, the flesh. Let me get back to the right color. I get to put that to death and it's me doing it. It's you doing it. So God did this. I'm called to do this. But now I actually have the freedom to make that choice effective. If my sin nature was still alive, if the old self, if the old self still reigned in my life, I wouldn't be able to choose this. I would have to fail at that. And what God is saying is, now that I've crucified the old nature, even though you still have patterns of, and inclinations and false beliefs and temptations and you could fall into sin, I'm giving you authority to defy that. Now, somebody in, in, in this room should be thinking, so what's the difference between the old self and the flesh? So one was crucified, one still I have to deal with, but they sure look alike. They pull me towards sin. And again, uh, lots of passages we could look at, but I'm going to try to describe it in sort of a very practical term. So if I think of my old nature as the hard shell of my inner being. And it was, it was evil. Again, not because it looked ugly to somebody else. It was evil because it was not in union with God. But that hard shell, and then what got pressed into the shape of that shell, my thoughts, my feelings, my habits, my impressions, my beliefs, my expectations, my treasures, my priorities, my way of operating, my way of thinking, how I built relationships, how I destroyed relationships, got pressed into the shape of that sinful thing. And what God's saying is, that hard shell in the middle, it's gone. But you're still shaped like that. I give you authority to change the shape. I give you authority to start changing your thoughts. I give you authority to start changing your assumptions and your priorities. I give you authority and power to start challenging and changing your treasures. I give you authority to stop thinking like yourself is the authority and start agreeing that Jesus Christ is the loving, faithful, living Lord of your day-to-day life, moment-by-moment life. I give you authority to change the shape But here's another thing he adds to that. 
Go back to Romans 6. Starting in verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So now he's adding another layer to this. He's saying, not only did I crucify the flesh, but I'm making it possible that now you share in the life and the resurrection, the living union that Jesus has with the Father. I give you that new life. I give you that new life. Now, this word consider, uh, and it's a really cool word. But basically what he's saying is, get your mind in gear to agree with what God just told you. Start operating on the foundation that these things he just said are true. So it's not like consider it like, would you consider uh, meeting me for coffee on Friday morning? Well, I'll consider it. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, get your whole mind in gear with this truth. Consider it to be true. Consider it this way. So that when you face temptation and the enemy comes to you and says, you got to do this. Hey, I know your history. Every time I've tempted you with this, you've given in to it. You're obligated now to give in to this temptation. Or when you're living in fear. And out of that fear, you have to take care of yourself above others. And you're saying, this is the way. And the enemy's right there going, yes, that's the way. You got to operate in fear. You got to take care of yourself first. And God's saying, you're not obligated that way. Because I've given you this new way. Where you are now in union with God. Just like Jesus is. Well, their, their union is perfect. Ours is growing. But I have that union in Christ. That phrase comes up over and over again. In Christ, I'm seated in Christ. Christ is in me, I'm in Him. And now I have this new relationship. Go with me to 2 Corinthians 5. Let's start at verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. And here's a bizarre thing he says. Listen to this. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. And that admonition in verse 16, to, to not know Jesus in the flesh. I could study the life of Christ. I could even believe he's the son of God. And I could just know him in his, in his specific actions. I could know his teachings. I could know all the amazing things he did. And there would be no power in knowing all that about Jesus. 
I have to know him way past the flesh. I have to know him for the living God that not only now dwells in me, but makes me a new creature. So that phrase, he is a new creature. So again, I would ask, if I could ask you to raise your hands, and I'm not going to, but if I said, do you remember the moment that you prayed, or do you remember the season, or are you recognizing the process where you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then not only was your old self crucified, not only were you given authority to start overcoming the patterns of the flesh, he's saying, I did a brand new thing in that moment. I made you a new and living creature so that everything that Adam and Eve lost when they died to God, for you, that's now alive. For you, you are now a new and living creature in Christ. Something's possible for you now that wasn't possible before. You are a living thing, but it's the life of Christ in you. Go to Galatians 2.20. And I know many of you can quote that verse, but if you have a Bible, I hope that you're actually looking at it. Or if you have a Bible app, don't check your email. Just look at the Bible app. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. So again, Paul is, is using the past tense. He's saying, this happened. I don't have to make it happen. I don't have to plead and pray and beg God to make it happen. It's a done deal. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And again, in this one verse, Paul is describing several aspects of this New Testament life. The part of me that had to rebel, crucified. Now this new thing where Jesus dwells within me, but he doesn't just dwell within me. He brings me a new life based on faith in him. And now I can live the life. Now I can grow as a believer. Now I can grow in loving and trusting God. You know, one of the things that uh, came up several times over the past week, that different folks, as just going through counseling with different folks, recognizing, wow, I've been a Christian for, you know, one year, I've been a Christian for 40 years or whatever, and they're recognizing, you know what? I don't think I've ever loved God. I believe in Him, but I'm not sure I've loved Him. And so that recognition that we get to grow in loving God. So again, this is not a condemnation question. This is a challenge question. Are you growing? Am I growing in actually loving God, treasuring Him, the joy of worshiping Him, the joy of praising Him, the joy of adoring Him, because I love Him. So when I fell in love with Carrie, and, and I'm, the romance, I'm the romance guy in this marriage. Carrie's very practical. Uh, unfortunately, I, I'm often not practical. But, but nobody has to tell me, hey, uh, it's Tuesday. Tell Carrie you love her. Because, because I already have that in mind, I tell her till she's tired of it. That, that may not be a good thing. But, but it's in me to tell her. I don't need a little instruction card that says, tell Carrie, try to say at least seven times a week that you love her. 
that love is already there. But I have to grow in loving God. I have to grow in that. I have to choose it. I have to nourish it. And you guys are a big part of nourishing love for God in me. And, and I and others around you get to be a part of nourishing love for God in you. So that we're actually growing in this love relationship. But he says here, I like this. In verse 20. The life which I now live in the flesh. And he's using a, a different version of the word. But basically, the life I live in this physical body. So scripture uses both aspects of that. The physical body is flesh. The part of me that wants to do my own thing, even though my sin nature is gone, that's the flesh. But the life I live in this physical body, I live by faith in the Son of God. So, actually, well, you don't have to turn there. Also in 2 Corinthians 5, there's another verse, a few verses earlier than where we're reading in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Some of you probably know that. For we do not walk by sight, but by faith. So if I'm going to do this life in a way that fits my design and fits this new union with God and fits that I am crucified and now he gives me a new life in union with God and he's in me to make that new thing possible and effective and powerful, I believe him. I trust him. If I define my walk by what I can see, I'm doomed. Not doomed for salvation. I'm doomed to hit walls. I'm doomed to step off cliffs. Because I'm going by human sight and I can't even see one second into the future. But if I'm walking by faith in Christ and I trust him and he tells me something and it makes no sense whatsoever, but he says, trust me, this is the lead. This is the direction to go for, for blessing. This is the direction to go for honor. This is the direction to go for healing. And I go, Father, that doesn't make sense. Do you have faith in me? Do you believe me? I believe you as far as I can see you. Step off the next cliff. So this is about deepening our confidence in a living God. In a, in a Jesus who dwells within us and says, I see what's coming and I'm ready for it. Have faith in me while you live the life. Almost everybody in this room is facing a challenge. There might be one or two people in this room that would say, you know what? I think right now everything's good. It's just Sunday. We will all face challenges. And, if we, and by the grace of God, we do get seasons of rest. Thank God for that. We get seasons of rest. We get seasons where it feels like oh, a little breather from the battle. But that is not the norm of life. You know that. That is not the norm of life. The norm of life is challenges. The norm of life is temptations. The norm of life is facing the next possibility of discouragement or distraction. The norm of life is that we are in a battle with a real enemy. But here's what God is saying. But the norm of life is also to deal with those things with, with a supernatural vision of Jesus Christ equipped and ready to deal with that. When we were in Sunday school this morning... Sid said something that, that I, I think was very beautiful. Um, 
that when, when God allows us to face something, that we accept the cards we're dealt. Now, I think, who's the guy who sang a song? Anyway, we don't, I, I promise not to sing. But I take the cards I'm dealt with, and then I do something with them. I don't, I don't demand that God reshuffle. I don't resent what I've been dealt. I can grieve over what I've been dealt. Please hear that. I get to actually sorrow over the hand that I've been dealt at some moment in life. But what God's saying is, trust that I'm ready for the hand you're dealt. So that your focus and your vision is on trusting me that you are equipped. Um, there's a beautiful ending to Hebrews. And by the way, for all those in Sunday school, this is the point I wanted to get to that we didn't have time for. So if you go to Hebrews 13... Where God says this through the writer of Hebrews. Now the God of peace. The God of peace. Who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep. Through the blood of the eternal covenant. Even Jesus our Lord. Equip you in every good thing to do his will. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So there are some of you that have been growing as believers for decades. And that that growth is real and that growth is evident. There are others who have just recently become a believer and your growth is just beginning. And there are some who have been believers for decades and your growth is just beginning. But either way, God's saying, oh, here's how I want you to have this vision. Whatever you face, whatever I put in front of you, I promise through Jesus Christ, you're equipped for that. You're equipped. You have what you need. You have what you need to please God. Now you have what you need to look better than the other guy. Where you are is where God's growing you from. But he's really saying in all this, surrender to this truth. That you now have a new authority. You're a new and living creature. The old thing that had to sin. Had to be self-centered. Had to rebel. I killed that for you. Now you can overcome the imprint of that ugly old dead thing. By this loving union. This faithful trusting union. With a God who actually dwells within you. And equips you for the thing in front of you. And again, it's worth recognizing, God is not standing over us in condemnation saying, why aren't you faster? Why aren't you smarter? Why, why haven't you gotten this more? What he's saying is, please keep growing. Please determine and choose in your will of wills that you will keep growing. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that all of us, again, whether we've been a believer walking with you for decades or we've been a believer who just comes and goes and visits at our convenience. Or even, Father, if there's anyone here who is not a believer, who's never actually trusted the death of Jesus for forgiveness. First of all, Father, I pray that you would make it that clean and clear and simple. That if anyone has not trusted you, that they would know you are eager to save us and forgive us. We don't need to make bargains we don't need to earn our way halfway there. 
We get to trust that your son's death on the cross, Father, completely and fully paid for our sins, that we believe in Jesus Christ. And out of that simple act of belief, that simple choice of trust, you then grant us eternal life. You make us sons and daughters for eternity. You now crucify the flesh that obligated us to sin. And you even give us authority to overcome the imprint of that in our flesh. You give us power to grow. You give us actual power, Father, to please you. A living, perfect, holy God. And with all of our imperfections, we're able and equipped to please you by our willingness to grow in Christ. By our willingness to do this in him, through him. And to refuse to do it apart from him. Father, all of us here, all of us here have a limited understanding of what we're talking about. But what we ask is that you would take our understanding deeper and deeper because we run with you on the parts we understand. We run with you on the glimmer of truth that we can grasp. And then you keep teaching us more. Father, I pray that nobody here, myself included, would just leave today saying, I already knew that stuff. That every one of us would, would determine, I want to keep going deeper in that stuff. I want to keep going deeper in comprehending that everything in me that had to sin is gone. And everything in me that still leans towards sin can be overcome, step by step, choice by choice, with the power and authority of a new life in Christ. And Christ dwelling in me. That we would go into the week with a fresh commitment. And a fresh joyful vision. Father not a dutiful legalistic understanding. But a joyful vision of new life in Christ. That equips us to grow. And then Father I pray that if we, if we have that determination. As we step into the day. Into the week. That you will put in front of us. The areas where you want us growing. Our friendships. Our marriages, our relationship with parents and children, our relationship with co-workers and bosses and employees. Father, our relationship to temptation, our relationship to the culture around us that calls us to a thousand distractions, our relationship to computers and iPhones and iPads, our relationship to our inner thought life, our relationship to everything that we deal with moment by moment that your spirit would help us grow in comprehending this is the place where you're ready to help us grow. I pray that for myself, Father. I pray that for each one of us. And we agree on these things together in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.